everybody. Welcome to the Evidence Podcast, the podcast where real people share real stories to show real evidence of a very real God. I'm your host, recording from Knoxville, Tennessee, Daniel Brooks. Joining me is my co-host, residing in Danville, Illinois. He is a youth minister, a coffee roaster, and a high school cross-country coach, Jordan Lang. Hola, broskies. And our other co-host, an insurance adjuster, residing in New Haven, Connecticut, a world traveler, and a talented musician, JT Shavers. Hi, guys. We have a great show in store for you today. We have some encouraging news, a hot take on an important question. Our very own JT Shavers will be giving us testimony and experiences as to how God has been evident in his life. I promise you don't want to miss this episode. How's it been going, guys? Been doing good, man. Got back into Connecticut from Guatemala, so had a short-term mission trip down there and uh, had a great time with the team. Able to make it back to Connecticut, kind of getting back relaxed. It's really cold outside. I think I got nine degrees, so I'm getting used to that. We haven't even recorded since back in, I don't know, what, November? Yeah, it was before Christmas, the last yeah. time we recorded. So, yeah, yeah we've had the holidays three between weeks. this, so a lot yep. has happened. Oh, yeah, like I got COVID five days before Christmas. Oh, oh no. Tell us so, about that. How did that go? Uh, this is my second bout with COVID, so pretty exciting. Since the start of the pandemic, I've had COVID once a year, so that's exciting. <laughs> it's I, an annual I, tradition. I've so 2022 is looking real good. I've gone two years now with no COVID. Thank, Have you seen that, you, like, Jesus. the meme where, like, Mario is like in the middle of all of the different obstacles and things. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. It's like no. the last level of Mario. Yeah. Like avoiding, yeah. It's everyone avoiding COVID who hasn't right. had it yet. So I did get sick the week after Christmas. Like my parents came into town and the one day that they were in town, I was sick. I saw a, a Facebook meme or something and it was like, man, all my friends are getting COVID and I got the off-brand Kroger <laughs> winter cold. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm cool with that though. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, much better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on a positive during the winter break, I found out I got a track position with our high school so i'll be the head distance coach so all right i'm gonna start your uh intro is now gonna say coach jordan lang i like as if you were like a doctor or something i love it yeah all right well let's get uh started with this week's content and as always our first segment is positive news this is the part of the podcast where each host will mention one current news story that is positive, funny, or encouraging. Purpose is to bring joy to your life and a smile or at least a smirk to your face. Jordan, what's your piece of positive news this week? I saw an article on businessinsider.com that there is an Australian girl right now who is 10 years old and she is on her way retiring age 15. 10-year-old Pixie Curtis has set up a toy company that's making millions of dollars. She's the one that's founded Pixie's Fidgets. Like if you've seen those toys that do like the popping and she's done a lot of things for people with like ADHD and anxiety. And then she launched her company called Pixie's Bows that her mom helped her set up. And that's a multi-million dollar business. And so this 10-year-old girl who is in elementary school is about to retire by age 15. I thought that was nuts. I personally wow. couldn't retire at age 15, but yeah, dang. she's not going to retire. Hopefully. No, you know, no. I think we're can. almost double that age and still are not close to retiring. Yeah, I'm not even oh, close. For sure. Like I'm in ministry. I'm never going to retire. Can't that's retire right. from Jesus. That's yeah, right. the Lord. The Lord's work has no end date. The uh, role of a minister is you go from youth pastor to family pastor to senior pastor and then die. And then to glory. Yeah. Or right. you become like an interim pastor later. But but this girl is 10-year-old, multimillionaire, successful businesses, age 15. So right before like the peak of high school, she'll be retired. Yeah. All right, JT, what's yours? 
So my story was just mostly on the funnier side of things, or at least I thought it was really funny. There is a lawsuit right now from Swiss cheesemakers towards the U.S. market that the the basically the title of this article is Judge Pokes Holes in Swiss Cheesemakers' Legal Arguments, because it's Swiss cheese, obviously. <laughs> Gruer Cheese is basically been suing the U.S. so that they can say that you have to have cheese that is made in the Guerrero region in order to sell it and market it as Guerrero cheese. Uh, essentially, as this you know case ended up going on, it ended up going to a, uh, a federal court judge who basically ruled that the Guerrero cheese has been around for so long and there's so many different manufacturers of it at this time as a style of cheese that basically American consumers don't understand Gruyere as a name to be like, it, it's more like a generic name towards a specific kind of cheese instead of a specific place. And basically the concept of like, oh, Champagne actually has to be from the Champagne region of France. And that was essentially what they were making their argument off of. You know, that's what they're kind of looking at. But anyway, it's just kind of a cool thing that there's a bunch of cheesemakers in Switzerland right now that are trying to uh, take on a federal judge so that they can make their cheese the only Gruyere cheese. It's like cheese and beef. It's a lot of beef between the cheese companies. Yeah. Now, look, look, to be honest, the real story is the headline is phenomenal. I love yeah. it. Well, Pokemon and that, that, that is the reason I picked this thing. I saw it and I was like, that that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, whatever punny guy came up with that one. Good for that you. Well yeah, done. That guy raised. Well, my positive news is not important really at all, but it brings a smile to my face because, ladies and gentlemen, your University of Georgia Bulldogs are the national champions of college football, and I could not be more ecstatic about it. That was kind of important because I had no idea that Georgia had won the national championship until you shared that. That's so good. that just shows you how much I care about football. That's <laughs> good. That I had no idea. So if, if no one else knew that, at least... I knew that. So thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Because it was yeah. a vital piece of information. So so Daniel, answer this for the people. What does the A in UGA mean? Uh uh agriculture. University of Georgia agriculture. Yep. Sounds right to me. I think you're right. Because there was a there's a federal program back forever ago that basically every state had a school that was the school of agriculture. So like Auburn University was the school of agriculture in that state. So I bet University of Georgia was also the school of agriculture in the state sense. of Georgia. Because yeah. Georgia's first mascot was a goat. So yeah, yeah. the bad idea. <laughs> it was. But anyway, after 40, 41 long years, Georgia is now at the top. So I'm pumped. Congratulations. Because I'm a Braves fan and a Georgia fan. And that is two championships in a row for me as a fan. I had nothing to do with it, but it's great to be a supporter. So speaking of national championships and sports, our hot take. This is the part of the podcast where we have a debatable question to discuss. Hopefully these questions are something that we've all questioned or have wondered. And then hopefully this is a question that everybody can relate to. So the question of this week is, does God genuinely care about the outcome of sporting events? God doesn't care at all about the outcome of your sporting events. So my opinion basically is that I don't think God cares at all about the outcome of sporting events. And that's primarily because I don't care at all about the outcome of sporting events. And I just don't see God spending a lot of time or especially like predestining who may or may not win that sporting event. You can argue that God may have a foreknowledge of an outcome of a sporting event, but I don't necessarily think that that means that he cares about the outcome of that sporting event. If we backtrack a few years in the NFL, there was a quarterback named Russell Wilson who talked about how God helped will his team to a win. 
And then on the opposite side was quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who kind of in your posture, JT said, well, I don't think God really cares who wins or loses. And that sparked a debate of does God actually care about the outcome of a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game or in my context, a race, which surprisingly, I agree with you, JT. I don't think God ultimately cares about the outcome of a game because I'm a pastor. I'm going to bring scripture in first Samuel chapter 16. Samuel is actually getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel. He goes to Jesse and all of his kids. So Samuel has like Jesse's oldest three kids. They all seem fit to take over like the rule rule of Israel. And in verse seven of chapter 16 of first Samuel, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for the humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And I think ultimately within even sporting events, or let's just say for an example, like America's got talent, American Idol, like competition based events. I think God cares more about our hearts in the midst of it rather than the outcome, whether win or lose that your character reflects the character of God is ultimately what matters. I agree with that as well. I, I went to scripture for for all of this now because I'm like, all right, I know what JT thinks to a degree because he's just not a sports fan. And JT, you're just like my dad. I actually already <laughs> told my parents that this is going to be the question because I thought it'd be interesting because we've been yeah. talking about Georgia winning. Right. And my dad's like, I think you already know how I feel about it. And I'm like, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, yeah, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... Athens is a madhouse right now. Athens, Georgia, oh, I'm celebrating sure. the win. Today was the celebration. So downtown Athens and the stadium and all that was, I mean, the parade happened. It was crazy. The national championship trophy has made its rounds to the Walmarts. Huh. And so, yeah. <laughs> That's the most Georgia thing ever. <laughs> so, it was the Dollar General next. So, um, so I went to scripture because I just, you know, I like to be devil's advocate here. But Second Timothy 2.5 says that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And so to piggyback on what Jordan said, I also agree that I think that it's really the heart of the athlete that matters more than the result of the game. So if an athlete has integrity, I, I feel like that's more important than the results of the game. And the other scripture verse that I just, this is the first one that popped in my head before I started typing in sports in the Bible. It's first Corinthians 9, 24. Know not that those who run in a race. So Jordan, this is your racing and your running. Oh, I know. All <laughs> but one will receive the prize. So run that you may obtain it. And so I think that more so than just your integrity, I think it's how much you give, like your, your effort into it. I think that mm-hmm. It goes along with the verse. I don't remember the reference and that's okay. But but anything that you do, do it to the glory of God. And that's just doing it to the best of the abilities that God has given you. Uh, the Bible also talks about harnessing and building up your strength and continuing to make yourself better. And actually, yeah, here it is. I already popped up. First Timothy 4, 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. First Timothy 4, 8 is just saying like, okay, bodily training is great, but it's also an object of the mind and an object of your character. And then the one that I already talked about, whatever you do is whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. First Corinthians 10 31. And so I think that 
Sports are important to God because it provides a platform for an athlete and it provides a place because I think God has always known that sports are entertaining. I think if it wasn't important to God, it wouldn't be mentioned in the Bible. Like, why would he even throw out an athlete runs a race or if you compete, do it for his glory or whatever? I don't think that he would mention that if it wasn't important to him. But as far as the outcome, does God genuinely care about the outcome of a sporting event? I would say probably not because I think God cares more about your mind and your heart, whether you win or lose. And I think a lot of time there's a lot of power in losing and still glorifying God through that. And I think that if people see the platform, if you've been given this platform to be on a field or a court or a track or whatever else, a pitch, if it's soccer, whatever you're on, are you showing the glory of God through your actions and through your gameplay, whether it be through your efforts or through your fairness? Are you showing the glory of God through all of that? And whether you're winning, are you giving God the glory? But if you're losing, are you giving God the glory? Whatever you're doing, whether it's what I used to do, delivering FedEx boxes or uh, doing insurance agents or insurance quotes, whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God. It doesn't have to just be an athlete, but people are going to be watching you and God has you where you need to be for this specific time, this specific place, and this specific moment. And in those times, places, and moments, and those relationships that you're building in those areas, people are going to be watching to see if you're glorifying God. And so when you're winning and you have a championship and God's provided you with that glory, such as the Georgia Bulldogs, it's easy to give God the glory and people expect that. It's easy to win an award as an actor or an actress on a stage and say, you know, I just want to give thanks to God as your first person and yeah. then go through your list of producers and directors and all that. Those are easy moments, but it's the moments that you fail or the moments that you have a setback, whether it be an injury or a loss, whatever. That's the moment that I think people are still watching and we often forget that they're watching. And that's the moments that I think God cares about the most is if you're glorifying him through the win and through the loss. The question, does God genuinely care about the outcome of a sporting event? I think that he cares about the heart within that outcome, whether the outcome is positive or the outcome is negative. How are you showing glory to him? I would say that our main point of does God genuinely care about the outcome of sporting events would be that not so much the outcome being what we desire, but being how our hearts or our minds react to that outcome. So would it be something that is glorifying to him or is it going to be something that hurts or potentially ruins your testimony? That would Amen. be what I've, I feel like we kind of Amen. landed on if I had to put it in a nutshell. Yeah, I'm going to give you three amens for that one. Cool. All right. <laughs> Love it. That's all for this week's hot take. All right. I, I realized I say a lot of all rights. All right. Change <laughs> yeah. to the segment. All you right. Are, this is now right. the next right. segment. So I'm trying you to are the, out a segue here. You are the Matthew McConaughey of our. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time for our testimony segment. And this is very special guest to the evidence podcast here as it is your very own jt shapers so guys so i'd like to think that i'm not really a guest at this point i'm like I, I do get to be one of the hosts you're and so definitely like, not a guest yeah so no, it's like i'll be i'll be guest. here like every week but but that's fine it's fine no you're every <laughs> you week you're, you're a special guest today though. yeah i'm a special spotlight yeah, there yeah. you go. I've been putting a lot of thought into kind of what I wanted to say here and talk about as far as 
where God has been evident in my life and kind of where he's ended up revealing himself to me, because I think people will find the more they listen to us that I am easily going to be the most skeptical one of the three of us. I'm not a super spiritual person because I I enjoy authentic experiences. And I think that a lot of times, um, especially in the Pentecostal you know, circles, we can over emotionalize things and we can really get excited about things that we end up doing. So personally, I do tend to be very skeptical towards things that I see because I want to make sure that that's actually God working and not just, you know, my emotions or my imagination playing tricks on me. And then personally, I've also had a lot of questions towards God. Like I have absolutely questioned every aspect of God as to, you know, whether he exists in the first place and then whether he actually cares, you know, what happens in your life or if he's even active in the world as we know it. And there's so many different kind of standpoints that you can end up taking going towards Christ. And through my life, questioned those things very hard. I mean, to, to the point that I was borderline atheist, you know, probably in my early twenties, I didn't want to accept things at face value. And I didn't want to accept my religion just because it was the religion I was born into, or it was the religion I was taught growing up. And so I'll, uh, you know, kind of, kind of preface my conversation with that, but then I am going to back up a little bit there. And, and basically, uh, I did grow up in a Christian household. Both of my parents were Christians and grew up going to church every Every single time the doors were open, uh, it was, you know, every Sunday I was in there, every Sunday night I was in there, every Wednesday night I did Awanas throughout the week for, you know, the good old Southern Baptist people, you know, and I did that as a kid my whole life and, and absolutely loved it. And it was a lot of that was my social circle. Uh, growing up was a lot of in my church because I was actually um, homeschooled through most of high school. So I think sixth grade on. And so most of the people that I like hung out with was through my church. My primary reasoning for going to church wasn't really anything to do with God. It was to do with just hanging out with people. That's just what I wanted to do. And, you know, while I was there, I was obviously, you know, taught and exposed to things about God and, and, you know, general concepts and stuff like that. But primarily I, I was there to hang out with people because I like people as that ended up going. And as I got older and, and particularly, you know, left my hometown, went to college, which so I went to Cleveland, Tennessee, Lee university for a couple of years and loved it, but it did expose me to some different ideas. And it certainly with concepts that I was already struggling with in high school about God and general concepts about that, that I, I had and issues that I had, you know, I, I ended up getting into college and I actually met people who were atheists. And I actually met people who had struggled with those things and had ended up at a different endpoint as to where I am now. But at the time, you know, it was something I definitely explored. And, and I, I was never one to really shy away from those kind of questions. So anytime that, that I met someone who was an atheist, I wanted to talk to them about how they ended up getting, especially if they deconverted, like, especially if they were somebody like they were raised Christian and they end up deconverting out of Christianity into atheism or, or just, you know, straight agnostic. So I, I loved having those conversations with people primarily because that was, you know, something I was dealing with myself. But then I, I never got to the point where I could say that like God wasn't real. I could never do that because I had experienced so many things in church and I had witnessed the freedom and the peace and the joy of God, which for those people who have experienced that, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For other people, you may be like, well, that's stupid. Anybody feels peace and joy and freedom. But when you experience it through Christ and through that redemption of Christ, it's a very different feeling. And once you know that, it's very difficult to say that it's not real. Once you feel those kind of things, I don't think I could ever actually come 
come to the conclusion that God wasn't real or that God wasn't actually active in my life. And, you know, and I had a lot of family and friends that would constantly pray for me and which I, I was never very open with any of them about the fact that, you know, I struggled with my religion because I didn't want them to know. And I didn't want to have to have those conversations with them. It's like, I didn't want to go tell my mom, oh yeah, I'm thinking about being an atheist. Like, no, I'm not having that conversation with her. And so I didn't, I kept a lot of things kind of secret through that time in my life. But what ended up happening from that is it did make me a very skeptical person and not to just take things on face value that I have heard in my past, because there were certainly a lot of views that I had with Christians where I would see Christians weren't following the teachings of Jesus. And there came a point in my life where I had to divide the teachings of Jesus and Christians as I knew them. And I think a lot of the, the things that I ended up talking when I talked to people about why they had deconverted, that was one of the primary things that I heard was like, well, you know, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. It's like they say they want to do this, but then they turn around and they do this thing over here. Or it's like they care more about political agendas and they actually care about preaching the word of God. And, and a lot of the things that I heard from people were the same issues that I had. But what I had to attach was that people in the church, they weren't doing what Jesus taught. And they weren't actually following those teachings of Jesus. And so when I, I recognized that, it was like the issues that I had weren't because of Jesus. And it wasn't because of Christianity, but it was actually because of people. You know, it's the great thing of like when people get involved, they mess it up. And there's, there's going to be failures there. And we do have to be very forgiving towards people for that. I mean, we're all, we all fail. We're all humans. That's what, what we do. But I really had to kind of divorce those two concepts of like what Jesus taught and what I saw Christians doing and the actions that I saw them doing. But then as I continued to go out, so I ended up meeting uh, my wife in college and we got married within like six months. So we went on a little short term uh, mission trip together to Hungary and Europe. And when we were there, that's that's kind of where we met over the summer. And we ended up getting married like six months later that January. And now my wife was very big into missions before I met her. So she had already gone to several countries and had gotten in with several missionaries. And definitely her heart was in that direction. And she was already there. And, you know, when we ended up getting married, that was certainly something that we talked about a lot. It was just wanting to travel, wanting to see the world. But more than that, it was a calling that I saw in her life in particular at first. And what I saw through her was a very authentic Christian who was willing to do, you know, what God had asked them to do. But that was one of our criteria when we kind of got married was we wanted to make sure we had common goals. And so if her goals were going out and being a missionary, then I wanted to make sure that I didn't hinder those, but I actually was able to help them. Uh, so I spent a lot of time praying about it and seeking essentially that calling of God and wanting to make sure that our callings were compatible. Fortunately, they were. God did end up calling me into the mission field, you know, in hindsight, it was very evident that God had been calling me that direction for quite some time. And so I think that that was one thing that became very evident the more I prayed about it and the more that I actually was seeking God's you know, call in my life and, and the purpose that God had in my life. So our first real mission trip as a couple is we went to Nepal. She had been a couple of times. My wife had been a couple of times, uh, but it was my first time getting to go there. And that's where we met up with a few people over on that realm of the world. And so I talked to them and I, what I was amazed by was just absolute, like true, authentic Christians who wanted nothing more than to share the gospel and to see people like actively walking in their calling was amazing to me. Through all the Christians that I had met, I had never seen people who were so just sure of what they were doing and, and on fire about what they were doing. And it really clicked very easily. And we had prayed a lot about, you know, God, we want to make sure that in our marriage and in our lives that we follow 
the goal that you have for us, not the goal that we have for ourselves and make your passions, our passions was basically what mine and my wife's prayer was for a long time and, and still is. But then God just more and more revealed himself. It's like, Hey, this is what I want you doing. Like I, you know, I want you preaching the gospel to the nations. I want you traveling and doing things that, that a lot of people are either scared to do or just unwilling to do, but it's also very necessary. But more than that, it, you know, doing missions, it kind of opens your own eyes a lot because you see an international church. Like when we went to Nepal, there were Christians there. Now, not very many to be fair, but they were there and, and they worship the same God in the same way that you would see stateside. And, um, you know, since then I've been to several countries, I think I've been to like 17 countries at this point. And in most of them, I have met with other Christians, you know, in those countries. And what you see is an authentic where God is working in multiple areas across the world to pursue a common goal. And that is something that only a divine orchestrated God could do. You can't see the same passions and the same dreams and the same desires, country to country, nation to nation, pursuing the same thing without it being orchestrated by a God who desires the same thing. You know, seeing an international church and how God can orchestrate those things ended up being a very evident thing to me of where it's like, this is definitely the movement of God. A lot of times overseas, the spiritual warfare aspect is a lot heavier. It is a very real thing. And when you get over in those circumstances, there are definitely times where it's like, no, that was pretty much a straight up demon, you know, involved in, in the actions you were doing. And when you see that and you experience it, I mean, man, it'll, it'll rock your world. Like I, I remember without scaring people, but we were in Thailand and there was an instant where there was like five of us on the team. There was a night where God just like had us up and praying and essentially doing spiritual warfare. But none of us knew it until the next morning uh, when we all started talking to each other. We were sitting around breakfast and we were all kind of none of us had slept well. And we were just kind of discussing the night. And then we figured out all of us had basically been woken up and praying about the same thing through the night. And it was I mean, it was really just an amazing thing to see, like, where God will use people at different times. And and I've had examples of that throughout my missionary life, basically, and and where I've seen where God has put prayer on my heart for other people. And then I figure out later, like, oh, those other people were in a really bad circumstance at that time. And, you know, and that's where you see the orchestration of God. And the other aspect of it is that a lot of times there are people who can't deny spirituality in the world. Even the most intense atheists I think I've ran into, like they still will talk about spiritual encounters and, and times that they know that there is more than just nothing. And more than just like a happenstance that we're here. And I think you have to see that when you're really looking at like what God has done in the world and, and how God created the world and then spiritual encounters, like you have to acknowledge the existence of a spiritual deity. Like, I, I don't see how many people cannot have that conclusion. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most people would say that. Now, they may chalk it up to, oh, yeah, it was my imagination just playing tricks on me. Yeah, I just got really emotional, you know, and they got scared or whatever. And that's where you run into that or you just get overwhelmed by beauty. I mean, you go to some places in the world like the Grand Canyon, for example, and you get over there and it's just beautiful and, you know, awe-inspiring. And, you know, as Christians, we can be like, wow, look how amazing God is. And then but a lot of times atheists are just like, wow, look how amazing, you know, evolution is and the corrosion of rocks. And like, yeah, there is a beautiful concept there on both sides you know there is a depending on how you look at it you do have you know endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful that develop in the world but then you also look at a divine creator who develops those things and sets those things in motion when you when you finally i think acknowledge those things then what you're looking at is what is the right answer so if, if you can 
get to the point where you acknowledge that, hey, there has to be a God or there has to be creator. And then where you really turn into is trying to figure out, well, which concept is, is the right one? You know, is it, is it Hinduism? Is it Buddhism? Is it whatever your religion is? You end up experimenting with those things. And that's another thing that I've absolutely not necessarily experimented with them per se, but, but studied them. Like I have spent a good time studying, you know, Islam and I've spent a good time studying Buddhism and uh, Hinduism is really weird. And I don't know that I can follow it, but it is an interesting religion at the same time. And I think that that's one thing that I wish people would do more of is actually study other religions and get other ideas because a lot of times we want to come in there with, oh, this is the right thing to do. And this is what I believe. And so it's the right thing you should believe. But they've never looked at other examples. They've never looked at what other people believe. And just as staunchly as we believe Christianity, there are people who believe Islam just as staunchly, you know, they're just as seriously and in-depthly as we believe, you know, in Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. There are people, you know, who believe in Buddhism, believe in meditation and reaching nirvana through that. And, and you have to honor that a lot of times when you end up speaking with people is, is honor their beliefs. But that's a that's a complete side note. My thing is I see evidence of a real God in nature, in people, in creation, in actions, in the way that God orchestrates and sets up divine plans. That's that's where I see God. And then the flip side of that is looking at what God is the real God. Like, is it the Jehovah, the God of the Jews, you know, and then his son, Jesus Christ, or is it something else, you know, is it a different God entirely? And I don't have 20 hours to sit here and you know, discuss the theological evidence of that. But I do think that the thing that you have in Jesus Christ is a sacrifice that is made and given that brings redemption for man. And most religions don't have that concept. Most religions, it is you work for it, you, you strive for it, but ultimately it is you who ends up getting you to eternal paradise or, or whatever version of that they have. But in Christianity, Jesus Christ has already done that work for you, you know, through the work of the cross. And and it sets up, you know, in the Old Testament where it's like you you are a sinful fallen creation and you you essentially have little to no hope of reaching reaching heaven or being forgiven from the sins. But then you have Jesus Christ gets to come on the scene and it's through him and his sacrifice on the cross that you end up having freedom and peace in what you do. And that that concept is very rare in other religions. There are very few religions. And I mean, they're there, but there are very few religions where the redemption has happened. There's a ton of them where they're condemning you and they're saying, here's the things that are terrible about you. And here's all the things that you have to do to make your life better. But Christianity, that's the one that there's redemption and there's peace. And when you pursue that, that redemption is then given to you as an individual for nothing that you did yourself, but it's what Jesus Christ did. That that's the person who solved it for you. You don't have to, I don't have to sit here and solve it for anything because if I did, we would all be in a bunch of trouble, but because Jesus already solved it and he already did everything that he has to do, then you can pursue that. And that is such a beautiful concept in my mind. The, the fact that it's like, we don't have to strive anymore. And, and there are obviously things that you stay away from and all of that, but, but we don't have to strive for perfection. Jesus already accomplished that and we're forgiven because of his accomplishments. So that's kind of where I've ended up standing. And as I've studied, as I've seen people go through those kind of things, I find that Christianity 
stands up to the scrutiny that you end up putting it under. There's obviously theological debates that we can have all day, every day. But when you actually have that peace of God and that joy of God that ends up being imparted to you upon receiving Christ, that peace and that joy that ends up coming with it is is unparalleled. I don't know of another feeling in another way that you end up getting to that point. So good. That's so good. JT, thanks for sharing your story because I think for so many people, like they're going to be able to relate to that story on a bunch of different levels. And so the one question I had for you is more of like some advice you might give to someone who maybe they're listening and they were in a similar season to what you were in when you were in college. Like maybe they've grown up in a Christian home and they've heard all the good worship albums and they've been to the conferences and they know that they could like feel a sort of way, but like at the end of the day, they don't know if God is real and maybe, maybe they're in a tough spot and maybe they're what a lot of well-intentioned people would say they're off at secular college or they're off (laughs) in the workspace or they're, Yeah. So what would you tell or give advice to someone who maybe is in that season? Like, what are some things, even with your story, like things that you did that went well for you, even if you wanted to share things that, that you did that ended up not going well, but what would you share with someone who is in that similar season? Yeah. So I, I would say the biggest thing is like, never stop asking questions. I think so many people like they they go into like a deconversion period or a religion shift period and they kind of have a this is where I want to end up by the end of this. And then they just have to spend time, you know, like getting themselves to that point. It's like if I know I, I don't want to believe that there's a God and that's where I want to end up on this thing. Well, then you're instantly going to be trying to find evidence to show that there's not a God and you're instantly going to be trying to do that. So, you know, I think that that's a part of it. It's like, be willing to ask tough questions and don't shy away from that, but also like be willing to accept the answers you receive. Mm -hmm. Because I I think so many times, like people show you a reality or God will show you a reality and you'll reject it because you don't want to believe that way. Yeah, And, you know, and I think we have to be careful about that in, in a lot of different circles. I mean, we do that politically, we do it, you know, in the church or whatever, but it's like, we already, we know the answer we want. We just have to build up our evidence, you know, for that, for that answer. It's like, but if you go in with, I think an open mind and being actually willing to accept and then change your life on that, you know, test God and see that that's the thing is, is like actually test him and see God. I don't think God's scared of your questions. I think some people think that God doesn't have the capacity to handle our doubts and questions. Yeah. Like it's interesting before the great commission, which we could probably all quote, especially like with, I'm talking with two missionaries. So like, that's cool. But right before that, like Jesus showed up on the mountain and it said that like when the disciples saw him, some worshiped and some doubted. Mm -hmm. There were people in front of the resurrected Jesus that was still doubting. And Jesus didn't rebuke the doubters instantly. He just, he went right into the great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like he's commissioning people who are still doubting. Yeah. And like, 
God is still going to pursue the doubters. He's still going to pursue those who are sprinting away from him. He's going to meet people who maybe are heartbroken about, like what you mentioned, the disconnect between what they're reading in the Bible and what they're experiencing in church or from fellow Christians. And yeah, I think JT, your story hopefully will be one that resonates with a lot of our listeners. So I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I'm going to be devil's advocate here. If the Bible says there's scripture in the Bible, two or three that I, I know I can find right off the top of my head that say, do not test God. And Jesus says, God says, do not test me. Would you still say that it's okay to test God? Or is that out of, if someone were to quote that to you, would that be out of context? The biggest reference I think about is when Jesus is fasting in the desert for 40 days and it says to tempt not the Lord, your God. And so it's like, you know, if you're God, then you could throw yourself from this cliff and he would send his angels to save you. And that's, I think that's the story you're referring to, which is very different because I think you're saying like, like Satan was asking Jesus, well, if you're, if you're God, then you can't die. Like if you're the savior of the world, then you can't die now. Can you, when nobody's here to watch and when you haven't, you know, fulfilled all the prophecies and stuff like that. And, and I think the reality is if Jesus had jumped, the angels probably would have saved him you know, in, in that story. And you guys might be able to expound upon that more than I, I would. And there's a, I think there's a difference between like testing the knowledge of God and testing the authenticity, the authenticity of God. Um, and then testing God to be like, well, God, if you love me, then I'm going to go jump off this cliff over here and hopefully you'll save me. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a very different, you know, approach to those two yeah. different things. I wouldn't say it's necessarily out of context because you are right. And I, yeah, well, the verses that I, I was referring to is, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, you shall not put the Lord God to the test as you tested him at Masa. Um, and then, and Jesus quotes it and says in Matthew four, seven, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not uh, put the Lord God to the test and yeah. Luke four twelve. It's also because the gospels you know, are parallel, but, um, that that's what made me think about it. I'm like, if someone's an unbeliever and a skeptic, and then they go into it and they're like, well, I was just told off this podcast to test God. And now I'm testing him, but now I'm reading his word and it says, oh, don't test God. So right. who's right? Yeah. Or, you know, right. and, so, and that's why I just want a clarification. So one story I can think about um, in the book of Judges with Gideon. So Gideon wasn't per se testing God, but God had given him an assignment and said that he called him a valiant warrior, said that he was going to like lead his people into triumph over over the enemy and like Gideon on two different occasions put out a fleece and said, God, if this truly is you, then this fleece will be like covered in dew and everything else won't. And then it happens. And he's like, let's do this again, but reverse. And then God does it again, where it's, I guess it's not necessarily like a test because like, when we think about a test, it's like, okay, either, God's here or not, if he shows up, then he has to be it like an Elijah moment. But if he doesn't show up, then it's like, he's not real. Like, I think, I think more or less what we mean when we say testing our faith is more just holding up, holding up scripture, holding up like the narrative of Jesus, the, the tenets of the faith and looking at like other religions and going before the Lord. And even just saying like, Lord, if you're really real, like, I want to know, like, I really want to know if you're real. 
Yeah. And what's interesting, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, that God might not show up in the huge ways, but like what JT's testimony talks about, and I know, Daniel, you've experienced it too, but God will show himself up to you in like just simple ways. Mm-hmm. Like it could be peace or joy, someone reaching out to you and like just made your day. And for me personally, discernment within community is really big, like mm-hmm. welcoming trusted people into your discernment. Like for JT, not opening up to mom, that's not probably the community you were looking for, but like finding some people that you can link arms with that aren't going to judge you for the season you're in. Just be like, look, I'm, I'm not looking for you to try to correct me or preach at me. Like, I just need someone that I can process with is like, I'm questioning, is God real? Is Jesus really who he said he is? Like, did he really die on a cross? Like, could he have passed out on the cross and like the Roman soldiers threw him in a tomb and then took him out to make it look like he resurrected. Like there are these other gods, like they seem neat and they teach really good things, but to have a community of people that you can go to with those type of questions and just for people to be there for you, to be a source of encouragement, just to be a community that's there for your well-being and hopefully you include include Christians and even like other people that you might now know that aren't Christians you can invite them into your discernment because ultimately if you are searching for truth which we know truth is found in Jesus but like it's super important to have a good community that you're in mm-hmm. yeah as far as the testing to God, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I just wanted to be devil's advocate with terminology yeah, and how sure. and how people will listen to it and go do research and how skeptics are. Because with testing God, I think there is a difference between testing of, hey, I'm going to jump off this cliff. You better find some way to save me versus, hey, God, I'm testing you as far as like, show me your evidence, like show yeah. me your glory. And that may not come through a bright star in the sky. It may come through just an open heart and an open mind to see that. I just read God's word and I had never read it this way. Every time you read the word, that's it's called the living word, right? And they call it living because it's almost like it's living and breathing. And every time you go in and read it, like my whole Bible right now seems underlined because of when I read it through in Kenya, <laughs> but I can still right. go in tomorrow or tonight and read it and say, it's never looked like that before. I've never seen scripture. Like it's the same verse, but that stuck out to me a, a different way. And that, that now applies to me in a different way. I never really thought about it that way. And that's why you go to church and hear sermons. Can, there's all these different ways of people preaching the same scriptures and how it's gone on for so many years. It's because we have a living word in that way, but that comes through and us asking God in prayer of, Hey, show me your evidence, show me your glory and expose something new of yourself to me. And then through your research, you begin to get, that evidence that way. Yeah. It's time for our game. And with Groundhog Day right around the corner, we have come up with a game based off the movie Groundhog Day starring Bill Murray. 
In the movie, Bill's character has to relive the day over and over again, and subtle changes occur. With this game, each host will be given two versions of a quote from a popular movie. The host must then decide which version is correct. So often, what we repeat from a movie changes over time after being quoted over and over. The host that can scope out the correct line more often wins the game. You'll win. And the these game, are so. popular movies according to who? I would just say all time. The headline is the 20 most misquoted movie lines of all time. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the Carbonara effect. Yep. Uh, Michael Carbonaro yeah. has made the, the TV show popular. It's kind of like that, where you have looked at something or seen something so often that you miss out on the details and have yeah. pieced together the little details yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which one of you guys wants to go first? Jordan, you can start and then we'll okay. go there. All right, cool. Shoot, let's go for it. All right, Jordan, your movie is the famous movie, Forrest Gump, filmed in Savannah, Georgia. I've heard of it. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Your quotes are, Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. Or, Mama always said life is like a box of chocolates. So basically the difference is present or past tense. Correct. Either life is like a box of chocolates or life was like a box of chocolates. So because I think Forrest Gump was more about living in the present, I'm going to go with Mama always said, life's like a box of chocolates. You are incorrect. It was was? The actual quote is, Mama always said, (laughs) life was like a box of chocolates. Well, Tom Hanks said it wrong. (laughs) Throwing more people. It was written with an is. (laughs) It was written with an is. Gordon Lang is right, not Tom Hanks. (laughs) I definitely am right. Sorry, I've actually never seen Forrest Gump, so I'm glad that you got that one. Uh, Well, JT, it's your turn. Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? A time or two. Because that is going to be where your quote comes from. All right, let's do this. Your two quotes are... Let's go to the land of Oz. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Or, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, man. So it's the difference of we're not in Kansas or I have a feeling. I've got a feeling... Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Toto. I have a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Correct. Nice. All right. Everybody yeah. forgets they got a feeling. All right. So it is now JT one, Jordan zero. No, I technically still have one. Tom Hanks has <laughs> Tom Hanks negative one. Wrong. <laughs> All right, Jordan, your next movie is Jaws. Are okay. You familiar with the big shark? I've, I've heard of the movie. Your quotes are. We're going to need a bigger boat, or you're going to need a bigger boat. I'm going to go with the first one. We're? Yeah. Eh. I haven't seen Jaws, so I wasn't expecting to get it. Really? Oh, man, that sounds like a disadvantage. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right. The actual quote is, you're going to need a bigger boat. Oh. Mm -hmm. I don't even know any context. Dude, one was not going on the water. (laughs) Uh, okay all right jt i've got one that seems equally as hard okay actually harder it seems like the hardest one of this one it's from the movie cool hand luke okay yeah so your quotes are what we've got here is a failure to communicate oh or what we have here is a failure to communicate 
I think it's what we've got here is a failure to communicate. You got it. That's, That's ding, it. Ding, ding. Yep. That is correct. Dang. Yeah. So JT's up two to zero. All on, right, Jordan. Jordan. Better catch up, man. I've hey. got a classic sports movie for you here, Jordan. Space Jam. It is not your favorite movie. Dang it. As per said on the intro, it is Field of Dreams. Uh, starring Kevin Costner okay. and James Earl Jones. Do you think you have this one? No. Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> We had a 50 50 shot. <laughs> That's true. I've had a 50 50 shot both times and I've missed. This, this is why time. we do this not recommend moment. gambling. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Well, your two quotes are if you build it, they will come. Or if you build it, he will come. I read that in the... a whisper because that's what it says on the movie. Did it say whisper? No, it whispered in the movie. Oh. It's a it's a voice from the sky. Uh, so would we say that's God? Some may. Okay. So just <laughs> trying like to... Jehovah God, a different God. <laughs> the movie does not say. <laughs> okay. That's pretty fair. Uh, I'm going to go with the the first one was they will come. Yes. Yeah. I'm going If you with build that it, one. they will come. Yeah. Or if you build it, he will come. I would, I'm going to say they. Unfortunately. Who's coming? Man. Jesus? <laughs> so <laughs> I wish you saw the movie because you, you may would have known. It is tricky because a lot of players do come, but it's talking. Once again, they lied. It's referring to Shoeless Joe Jackson. And the voice in the sky says, if you build it, he will come. And it's referring to Shoeless Joe Jackson. He will come. But he does come and brings a lot of his buddies. (laughs) Well, so... Like so there's it a is spoof of that, no, there's a spoof of that scene in the bench warmers, and they say, "If you build it, they will come." And then they bring on like a fake Ryan Seacrest to like build a ballpark in 24 hours. Yeah. Bench warmers, classic, not appropriate for <laughs> youth group, not for the youth group. No. All right, JT, I've well, never seen up. it because I'm a Christian. But... JT, you're up two to zero. All right, let's do this. This could potentially be your winner. Could be. It is from the classic movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Okay. Never right. heard of it. <laughs> I've never heard of bench warmers. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a classic. Your quotes are, magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Or, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? Oh, I want to say mirror, mirror, but then I have heard people say before that, like, that is actually misquoted a lot. So I'm going to go with magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Seems like you have studied. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Yeah. means I've wasted a lot of time watching movies. It it is magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Jordan. I don't, I don't watch. You... I don't watch movies, man. It's cool. Look, I, no, fair, Jordan, I don't. I don't I... want you walking away with a shutout here. So I'm going to give you your choice of three movies that you okay. may think that you know a quote from. You have Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Heck no, haven't four. seen any of them. That is the Star Wars. You also have Titanic. Nope. Leonardo wasn't allowed DiCaprio. to watch it. There's a naked lady in it. Fair. All right. You have Silence of the Lambs. No, I believe not in a the recomm- lion and the lamb. <laughs> not a recommended movie, but the quote <laughs> seemed easy enough. Yeah, that's all you got. I gave you three all movies. Right. Uh, let's go with Star Wars because I haven't seen it. So let's make this happen. 
<laughs> All right. Your two quotes are, Look, I am your father. It's hard to do a Darth Vader voice. I'm not that good. It is. Or, No, I am your father. So, Luke, I am your father, or no, I am your father. So, every spoof movie has said, Luke, I am your father, but it has to be, no, I am your father. Is that your final answer? Let's go for it. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, yeah, there you go. Thank you, JT. The head nod. The people won't see the head nod, but... <laughs> just trying to help you out i didn't want to <laughs> if you hadn't seen but, it, it's really not fair if you haven't seen the movie I it, it, it is that. that is fair i knew but that on was... a side note so now this is you haven't or no daniel hasn't seen lord of the rings but you haven't seen no, star wars I, no jordan has not seen lord of the rings i or have star wars them. no you haven't seen lord of the rings or star wars no okay i'm you have to go watch one of the two he has because, watched like, the reason Jam. being is like I don't know, 60% of the conversations that I will have will not make sense to you if you haven't seen one of those two series. But see, here's the thing. When you watch one of those, it's literally an investment. Like, because there's 85 Lord of the Rings and there's 320 Star Wars. You're correct. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars, like Lord of the Rings would be much easier to digest than Star Wars. And if I have my recommendations, I would tell you to go watch Lord of the Rings. But okay. and, and is that a start like one, two, three, et cetera? Because Star Wars is all jacked up apparently. And you yeah, no, like yeah. So, four, so you five, go in like Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. So 10 hours of your life, and then you're good. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to watch The Hobbit, that's crap. Just okay. don't even don't even pay attention to that. But Lord of the Rings, like, yeah, you gotta you gotta go watch it. Okay. I think if you've listened to our intro podcast, you know how I feel about Lord of the Rings already. Yeah, nobody cares, Dan. <laughs> everyone disagrees with you hey, no, jt side, and i are having a conversation <laughs> on the flip side of that i actually love the star wars movies <laughs> and i would recommend the star wars movies and i'm one of the odd people that actually likes all of them but i don't it's either episode two or episode three i'm not a big fan of because it was boring but yeah i would say if you're, if you're first time watching watch it in the order it's created four five six and then one two three I actually like episode one. People hate episode one. And then go into seven, eight, nine. And seven, eight, nine, despite what other people think as well. I absolutely love the trilogy of seven, eight, nine. Yeah. I think seven was fantastic. And I think that nine was a, a good ending as well. Yeah. So like obviously I think that you should watch both of them, but for the time investment side of it, like I get, you know, that you probably don't have a lot of time and you got kids and all that. But what about so, the Hobbit? No, yeah, forget The Hobbit. Read the book. Oh, okay. okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, don't worry about the movie. Read the book. It's much better. It's a good right. book. Also, if you don't want to watch the movies and you're like, I like reading because I'm, you know, that kind of person that likes, you know, sitting in my recliner with a blanket and reading a book, then read the book because the book is also very good. So, gotcha. But I've yeah. only read one book that came from a movie and it was American Sniper. Oh, it wasn't never... Jesus? No, I guess yeah. <laughs> the chosen series. I've read all of that book. Hey, the chosen. Hey, I will say, like, my wife and I are going through the chosen series. I really enjoy it. Oh, it's great. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I need to. But I, I feel like every Christian needs to watch it. Right. So that's the. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. started it. I'm not that far in. I think I've watched like one or two episodes. But no, what I was saying is I have read one book that was of a movie and it was American Sniper. And so it's not like one of these like 
blockbuster wait, like Hunger Games series or anything. Wait, but you didn't read the book Holes and then watch it? Uh, absolutely, I actually did not Shia read LaBeouf. Holes. <laughs> I, I did dig it up holes. Um, but yeah, I did read American Sniper and I actually, because of that, have understood the quote, the book was better than the movie because literally the entire movie of American Sniper was a paragraph in a chapter book. Like that was how insane that was. There's yeah. so much detail within the actual mm. book, and it's uh, the sniper Chris. I can't remember his last name, and his wife Kringle wrote it. Stapleton, disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. He's love a real America. guy, guys. He's dead though. American hero. But uh, anyway, so yeah, if y'all want to read the book, I'm I'm all for it. I get that. Read the book. Better than the movie. Do they have Star Wars books? Yes, actually, you don't even actually, want to get into yeah. that. There are like a hundred Star books. What? Star Wars yeah. Books. Yeah, there's this a whole insane. galaxy out there for you. Hey, to if you really man. want to join into that whole clan, you've got the animated series, and Mandalorian, night. and the new yeah. series Boba Fett. <laughs> but now you should do it. Like I, I'm not yeah. disparaging that. Like just you watch should the go watch just it. Just deep watch dive of all the things. Yeah. And with that said, JT, you win this game today, three to one. Well, that about does it for this episode of Evidence. But before we close, we want to give a quick evidence recommends from each of us host. And I'll go ahead and start my recommendation for this week. I realize that most people have probably heard of them as they have just skyrocketed on the charts. But I noticed that a friend of mine on Facebook had just discovered them. So I thought maybe there's people that haven't heard. It is the musical group Maverick City Music. It is a bunch of random guys from different churches and different uh, segues of, I guess, the Christian culture. They all were at Passion Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and met up. I guess they were performers there, and they decided, you know what, we're going to get together and just start singing at a lakeside cabin that one of them owned or a friend of theirs owned. And they started making music and having worship nights, and that created Maverick City Music. They have a huge archive now. They've released numerous albums. It seems like they yeah. release an album every month. Like weekly. It's <laughs> nuts. Yeah, that's my recommendation is Maverick City Music. Definitely, definitely go check those guys out and gals. Sticking with the music theme, um, I am a huge Ben Rector fan, and he just came out with a new EP called The Joy of Music. It's not his typical sound, but man, it sounds good. Um, I'm also a huge Ben Rector fan, so I'm yeah. definitely He mentioned God in one of his songs. And a few of his, yeah. Yeah, so I would just recommend that. It's a short EP. I think he's rolling it out in slow pieces. He has a song with Snoop Dogg coming out soon. So that's going to be really interesting. Hey, Snoop D-O-double-G. That's interesting. <laughs> so mine is actually, since you guys took the music ones this week, uh, I was going to do an action, which is the idea of journaling on a regular basis. I know that that's kind of a, a weird practice for some people to do, but I do think it can be a very enlightening practice. And especially if you do stuff like journal prayer requests that you've ended up having in your life, and then to see how God ends up actually checking those things off the list it can be be pretty cool um so that that's my biggest recommendation is just to try to put that as a daily practice in your life or at least a weekly practice put your thoughts down because i think it will surprise people how their mind ends up shifting through months or years of time frames so cool yeah that's good that's it for this week's episode i'm daniel brooks i'm jordan lang and i'm jt shavers and you've been listening to evidence
Thanks for lending us your ears. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and a review. If you didn't like what you hear, either way, we're glad that you stuck around. Still give it a review. We appreciate any kind of feedback you could give us. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. See you guys next week. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) (laughs) Adios, broskies. This has been an Evidence Media podcast. Dwong.